you did the Andes trial, am I right? You want me to remember the names? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this special edition of Freely Filtered. Normally, we discuss a recent FJC, but we had an FJC in February. We went over two articles that were in KI reports. These were articles looking at uh, Roxadustat. Uh, one of the articles was in non-dialysis dependent patients, and that was a pooled analysis of uh, a few different trials, uh, placebo versus roxadustat, and the other one was a pooled analysis of dialysis patients, but only incident dialysis patients. The big story there was in the non-dialysis dependent, uh, this drug was non-inferior to placebo in terms of major adverse coronary events and MACE+, plus, but was superior in terms of uh, fewer transfusions and higher hemoglobins. In the incident dialysis patients, and this was a big deal, it had about a 30% reduction in MACE, major adverse cardiac events, and a 34% in MACE plus, which is major, major adverse cardiac events plus hospitalization for heart failure and angina. This was a big deal. And just uh, last week, uh, April 6th, Fibrogen, the manufacturer of Roxadustat, announced that there were that, that these results were based on some changing in the statistics that were done after unblinding and they have provided revised results in a press release and have submitted these to the FDA and so we felt this was important to just have a quick discussion about this. Tonight I have Swapno and I have Daniel Coyne. Now Daniel Coyne is anybody who's followed anemia is bumped into him over and over again. He's a significant anemia research, done a lot of important work on epigen and iron and on roxadustat. Daniel, you want to introduce yourself? I think you just did, but I'm at Washington University in St. Louis, where I'm a professor of medicine. I'm a full-time clinician. I run our academic uh, dialysis unit and our medicine outpatient specialty clinics. I'm also involved in clinical trials going back to about 1998. In fact, I think my first trial was Darby Poetson. So uh, I go back away. So what work have you done with Roxadustat? I've been involved in uh, studies of in the non-dialysis patients and in the incident dialysis patients. I was technically a site investigator for the prevalent patients, but um, because of late entry, I don't actually have any patients in that uh, study. Uh, my other main role, though, is as a consultant to Fibrogen and uh, one of their authors in their publications and reviewing both their abstracts. I've been a lead author and second author on a number of their abstracts presenting this information to the public and uh, also obviously getting these for, uh, for complete manuscript publication. Okay. That, that sounds good. Uh, I also have a conflict of interest. I've done some work for AstraZeneca, mainly kind of just general disease awareness about CKD. And Swap, you, you're clean. Is that right? That's right. I'm Swapnil Hiramat. Uh, I'll be the unconflicted person on this podcast. And I, I will say, I, I actually have conflicts with the four major companies making the three products uh, in the HIF PHI area that are... So I have conflicts with all those Okay. Akibia is the other one. What's the third one? GSK. Uh, they have Dapper Dustat. 
and they're just finishing the last of their trials. Dan, can you give your view of what happened uh, uh, on April 6th? Certainly, it was a surprise to me. I was getting ready to start a NKF program on HIF prolyl hydroxylase inhibitors along with JWISH. And as part of that, one of the first questions that was in the queue, literally as I opened the queue, was, well, in view of the press release uh, by Fibrogen, do you think these drugs are really safe? To which I was savvy enough to say, let's wait and answer after Dr. Wish gives his talk. And then, of course, scramble around to read the press release, which had come out at 5 p.m. Eastern time on uh, Tuesday, April 6th. It's an interesting read because the CEO is a new CEO there. He hasn't been there very long. And in fact, the, the chief medical officer also has not been there very long. And what they said was, and I'll quote it, as members of our senior um, management were preparing for the upcoming FDA advisory committee meeting, we became aware that the primary cardiovascular safety analyses included post hoc changes in the stratification factors. This is the CEO giving this. While all of the analyses set forth below, including the differences in the stratification factors, were included in the NDA. We promptly decided to clarify this issue with the FDA and communicate with the scientific and investment communities. So a few things. That means they actually turned in both the pre-specified and these post hoc analyses as part of the NDA to the FDA. That's not particularly surprising. I mean, you usually do a number of analyses as much for sensitivity as anything else. What they don't tell us is what those post hoc changes in the stratification factors really were. My reading of this is that the senior management knew nothing about this. And you have to remember from a nephrology standpoint, we've been talking about the the placebo controlled results and the incident dialysis results. And don't forget about the MACE plus being superior in the dependent dialysis patients. We've been talking about all of these positive hazard ratios with confidence intervals that don't cross one for quite some time. And then to be told, oh, those are just some post-hoc analyses we were playing around with. And sorry, we presented them at the ASN. Uh, that's kind of a shock. Yeah. The, the CMO said that the modifications of the measures used to divide patients for analysis run the gamut from the cutoff point for baseline kidney function to the definition of geographic regions, as well as variables as race, sex, body mass index. Um, so it sounds like it was kind of all over the place. So even if we see the pre-specified outcomes that they're presenting, uh, they do have some stratification factors, right? So if you go back, you know, when I was in, uh, when I was learning epidemiology, it was like uh, hardcore that if you've got an RCT, you do not need adjustment for baseline factors. That was what we believed 15, 20 years ago. Stats guys will laugh if I say that. Uh, Frank Harrell, for example, has made a big deal about this, is that you should always adjust for COVID rates, even if you've got an RCT. And, and my thinking on this has also evolved in the last five years as I came to know about this literature. But, you know, Darren Daly has a very nice blog about it, about why you should do that. And, and the basic premise is that you're throwing away information, right? The RCT is not, it's not trying to achieve perfect yeah. balance. This whole thinking of a balance is wrong. So you should always 
adjust for covariates but at the same time you have to have pre specified them because you know if you are looking at them afterwards and then playing around it takes the trust away right so that it's a double edged sword and you know we have been trying uh, i have had numerous conversations on twitter in the last you know few months telling people it's okay it's okay to do this and now suddenly this is going to make everyone be suspicious all over again isn't it also true though that you adjust for baseline factors that you think are related to the outcomes you can't just randomly exactly right uh, adjust for everything exactly right uh, uh, but if you uh, remember um evolve uh, well, so yeah, evolve that's, was negative right evolve was the crude result was negative uh, but if you did adjust for baseline covariates and very was, basic ones like h right like a, h, exactly as, fun, right. as fundamentals it can get they got tripped up by I, I, but, h. but but remember at that time we did not allow it we said no this is not acceptable but they they did another they did something else there too though which is that they they talked about adjusting for cardiovascular risk factors and they claimed that the people on the active drug had higher cardiovascular risk factors and that is simply based on history of hypertension being a couple points higher right almost all the other risk factors when you looked at them were actually higher in the placebo arm right um so it was kind of a game and it was clearly post hoc and but that's the thing right it, it's there's, there's a lot of distrust in this whole yes. covariate adjustment and and i can't yes. see this getting better but if i could step back and ask a few more questions of you you know what was the logic of having and i think i asked bob also this question is what's the logic of having you know 10 15 different trials and then pooling them with different different uh, you know sometimes different inclusion criteria different outcomes different time frame I think the logic was there were actually three coordinating companies. Two are US based AstraZeneca and and Fibrogen, but the third was outside the US. And each of these companies was going to be coordinating their own studies and you're doing them in different countries. And so the I think the logic was every team gets their own studies they have their own budgets and how many people can they recruit the other thing is the, the the FDA likes to see studies not just a single study but you know show me two studies ideally identically designed that show the same result well that's one way to do this uh when you're looking at efficacy when you get to safety it's a huge problem because these are giant cardiovascular ones so i think the combination of having you know typically three different trials going into each of the safety analyses that they were looking at or if you take the dependent dialysis patients and include the incident you know you're talking even more i think that's appropriate and made a lot of sense we want to see i mean nobody cared everybody assumed the efficacy was going to be there the question was what's the safety data and you know show me 10,000 patients and that's that's what they wanted to see So one of the big uh, study the big splashes from ASN this year was Akebia's protect study missed its non-inferiority. Yes. And that was a a non-inferiority range of 0.25, right? That's correct. And yeah. and the non-inferiority range in this study was 0.30. Am I right on that? That's correct. And That's correct. Nobody cared when all of their numbers were below 0.25. But now yeah. in the non-dialysis they have uh their mace and all cause mortality are straddled between that. They're higher than 0.25 but still under 0.3. Yeah, like so 0.27 and yeah, 1.26. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. still crossing. 
I, I think um, Akibia had, has two different problems with their non-dialysis trials, not just that the higher confidence interval crossed uh, uh, 1.25, which was their limit that they had defined, but that in their pre-specified analysis where age would be treated as dichotomous under or over age 65, their lower limit is actually above one. It's 1.01. So they were clearly inferior mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. to their comparator, which they dealt with, interestingly, in a post-hoc analysis of treating age as a continuous variable. And what this did was barely move the, the hazard ratio, but it extended the confidence interval to less than one. So they could kind of say that they were not inferior. These are post hoc analyses. And exactly right. Like the whole concept is that a continuous, if you have a continuous outcome, you should not dichotomize it. You should not. So, you know, yeah. th there's always, there are many different ways to justify what you're doing. But you can't do a post hoc. Exactly. A after you exactly get the negative, right. I mean, you, you've lost your credibility at that point. Okay, we can talk about this for hours, but the reality is we don't know a lot, right? We have this press release, we have this investor call. We know that they're non-dialysis data. Now it's a little bit more suspect because we don't know what confidence interval the FDA is going to look for for non-inferiority. Like the, the publication said it was going to be 0 0.30. Tell me, tell me, Daniel. Let, let's go through them one by one then. Okay. Let's talk with the non-dialysis and yeah. make it clear. So th these trials, which were Olympus, Andes, and Alps, and had 4,270 patients in it. In the intent to treat population, so the, the new corrected results are that the hazard ratio, if you received the drug, was 1.10. And that was an increase from 1.08. Pretty tiny change, but definitely going in the wrong direction. And the hazard ratios move slightly too. So now you go from 0.96 to 1.27. Uh, the company has said, and I have, I have no reason to doubt that uh, the hazard ratio, that what they had published previously was that the hazard ratio for the upper confidence interval needed to be less than 1.3. That's an arbitrary decision, right? A company said, hey, we're going to accept a 30% increase, right? That, I mean, that's... I think that was in conjunction with the FDA. Yeah. And the thing is, even if you look at the glycemia trials... It's it's in that ballpark, right? If you remember, this comes from uh, Steve Nissen and the and the Avandia stuff with diabetes, where previously diabetes drugs would be approved for blood sugars, and they said, hey, with the cardiovascular stuff, you need to demonstrate cardiovascular safety, and they used a similar 30 percent is a pretty common. But the question is, like, if they chose thirty percent, and Akibia chose twenty five percent, and like you kind of you you raise your hands, and you're like. Which one is right? Why Why would you choose the lower number? Why would you ever choose, right? Why would you ever choose the lower number? And it's certainly Akibia is kicking themselves for doing that now, especially since Fibrogen seems to, well, it's unclear that they will get away with 30%. You know, that we'll, we'll find out in July. It's interesting that the FDA hasn't made any comment about it. It is interesting. Um, okay, so that's the non-dialysis. Okay, let's move on to the dialysis. And let's first start with the incident dialysis patients. These are patients that started dialysis when the last within the last four months, this is compared to epigen versus the non-dialysis, which was compared to placebo. And this was the article that we looked at in FJC that was in KI reports. Dan? Yeah. And this is a nice population to look at because many of the patients are ESA naive. ESA naive means erythropoietin stimulating agent naive. 
So you've got people who have not been prior survivors, say, a visa, if that has adverse effects. Secondly, as you all know, uh, the first three months on dialysis is very high mortality, and yeah. it's mostly cardiovascular mortality. It's ugly, yeah. And the first year on dialysis is substantially higher mortality than people who can survive into the year two, three, et cetera. So great population to look at differences. And here's where the post hoc stratification factors really lowered the hazard ratio greatly. The initial report was that the hazard ratio for MACE was 0.7, as you had said, and and for MACE plus was 0.66. And the confidence intervals weren't even close to getting over one. So you had that you were superior to what is our standard of care right now. This this was an ESA trial as a comparator. And then the analyses that were released based on intent to treat analyses, all of a sudden moved those hazard ratios to 0.82 and 0.78. And the confidence intervals go above one, especially for MACE, where it goes up to 1.11. And these are interesting because you kind of wonder we haven't really heard much about batadustat and the incident population. And I think it's because they just didn't have a lot of patients in that. But in the dialysis-dependent population, batadustat versus ESA has hazard ratios that now look very much like what roxadustat does in their dependent dialysis populations. So are all of these things starting to align uh, maybe these drugs are going to have very similar safety profiles. Okay. And then the last group would be, uh, it's a pooled analysis of all dialysis patients. It's not just patients that have been on for a long time. It includes the incident patients. It includes prevalent dialysis patients. And there, in the previous analysis, some previous data that was released, we knew that MACE Plus had a benefit with Roxadustat, a uh, has ratio of 0.86, and that's moved to 0.91 and is no longer superior to ESA. It is non-inferior. So when I saw this data, what I'd been saying about the altered data was that this is a pretty compelling case. If you've got a hazard ratio of 0.7, for new dialysis patients, I mean, this is a no-brainer. You put your new patients on the HIF hydroxylase inhibitor, the roxadustat, and then you can argue about what to do with the dialysis dependent, but in five years, they'll all be on roxadustat. Now, suddenly, things are very different. It's not clear that you're making any clear benefit. Uh, you're giving them an oral form of a ESA, is what pessimists might say, and they, they suddenly have become a realist, maybe, about that. Uh, there may be subtle logistical analyses of giving pills versus injections and maybe some savings on IV iron, things like that. But it's a much, it's not a slam dunk case that you switch everyone. And for the non-dialysis patients, this shift in the hazard ratio now s- starts me to think about the vatadustat data again. So vatadustat in the in the non-dialysis patients was not placebo controlled. It was against ESA, Mm. came out inferior to ESA on safety, unless you want to play with the numbers and massage it a little bit, but you're still above that cutoff of 1.25 that they had for the 95% confidence interval. Was it inferior or was it not non-inferior? You tell me if the hazard ratio 
is above one and that both confidence intervals are above one versus your comparator, Isa. Are you... Oh, that would be that, inferior. That You're was, right. That would be inferior as well as failing not inferior. inferior. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that's why they immediately came up with the post hoc analysis treating age as a continuous variable. I joked when... Vada and Dapper Dustat were against ESAs, that when they finished their non-dialysis trials, they might get the ESAs black box pulled from them because they may show the ESAs are, are safer. And, and on that note, uh, you know, so the, the argument that people sometimes make with non-inferiority trials is that you have a drug which may be non-inferior to placebo, but sort of inferior, you know, it just kind of meets non-inferiority. And then you take another drug which is non-inferior to that drug. So it's kind of, you know, you're going down worse and worse drugs. Yeah. And uh, so Sanjay Kaul, he's a cardiologist at CDAR Senai who's been in FDA. He was making the argument that, you know, you're, and others also have that ESAs are perhaps inferior to placebo. And now you're taking another drug and you're comparing it to ESA and, and showing non-inferior and perhaps, you know, with the hazard ratios, you know, on the wrong side. Hey, of but be careful with that because we know that Roxa, Roxa went up against placebo and it was not inferior. So, I mean, you can you can try to build that case, but right here we got empiric data. That's not the case. Swap wants that example. He wants to write the chapter in the textbook. I know what he wants to do with that, but it's not it's not here. You're going to have to find another example, buddy. Okay? It's, this is not it. I, I do think that the, the Roxa versus placebo is – helpful in in the way that it shows that if you're much more moderate in treating the anemia, you're almost undoubtedly going to be safe. And so our present practices are to be much more conservative in using ESAs right now in the non-dialysis patients, maybe too conservative. But when you do use them, if you're generally targeting 10 to 11, if you're generally doing lots of things to make certain they don't go above 12 and maybe waiting until they're closer to nine or below nine before you start. That may be the safe bet here. I think that's a good message. Yeah, in, in the, uh, I mean, I don't know if FDA is going to approve these now, but still, assuming they do, uh, in the non-dialysis, it's it's a pretty straightforward uh, argument, right? You're taking a pill instead of a needle. Uh, it, it's so much easier to take pills. What do you see in the data now? Assuming that they're going to accept the 0.3 confidence interval as acceptable, do you see anything in the data that makes you think that this wouldn't be approved? Right? It, I mean, I, I mean, I feel like it's, I it's it's no blockbuster. It's not a it's not a game changer drug, but it doesn't feel like it's it's an ineffective or unsafe drug. That's my sense. I mean, I, you know, I'm happy to hear the other case, but to me, I'm like, yeah, it's not as good as I thought it was, and I'll, in fact, it's pretty dramatically worse than we thought it was. Right? We thought this was a lifesaver. It's no longer a lifesaver, and again, it's an equivalent to EPO. But we're in a world where we have where we use a lot of EPO. Right. I mean, I don't know what the FDA does, right? I can't. I can't say. Uh, they. They. Uh, like, I mean, look at early present. Uh, it's not the same example, uh, but early present and hepatorenal. Uh, so the the trial was done by the company in in, in conjunction with, with the, the FDA. FDA. Yeah. They said, hey, this is the endpoint: hepatorenal reversal, and it was superior for hepatorenal reversal, but you know, it was no difference in mortality, which was not the outcome, which was not the primary outcome. But because there was no difference in mortality, they didn't get approved, uh, or it looks like they're not going to get approved. And again, I'm not saying FDA will do that, but you know, FDA is known to do strange things. I think that's a stretch. It I is. mean, we have products in this niche to treat anemia. This is clearly as efficacious, possibly even slightly more efficacious than the ESAs we're using, especially in the ESA-resistant patients. And the safety profile 
worst case scenario looks about the same as ESAs. So why wouldn't you bring that into the marketplace and see what happens? You can argue about long-term side effects. I would argue we've never really systematically studied them with ESAs. It's often said, well, there's only two big studies that show uh, that ESAs, you know, increase the risk of cancer. And I go, well, there's only two big studies they did. So, you know, go, <laughs> go figure. <laughs> you know? Step back. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at, like you said, the the main uh, the superiority was it was such a dramatic result. It was going to be a no brainer that these drugs should be used. I, I'm looking at them now, and I'm saying I'm not sure. I'll switch. I'll be very honest. You know, I was keen on using them, and and now I'm like, uh, whatever. There are one more, you know, ESA, and and there has to be like the main reason we switch from uh, locally we use more of. Uh, Darby than erythropoietin and it's the long acting, right? I can give it once a week. I can in, in non-dialysis patients, like it has some advantage. So we switch to the newer product. You know, in non-dialysis, I can look at switching to a pill in, in dialysis patients. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't see much of a, a reason. But scientifically, you know, uh, the, the stuff that intri- intrigued me was the uh, was the role in uh, people who had, you know, high ferritins. The fact that these drugs may seem to work in, we struggle with these patients, right? We pump them with more and more iron based on the stuff that you have done with drive. Yeah. So I would not use ferritin so much as say inflammation. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at a marker like C-reactive protein, which was done in the Roxadustat trials, mm-hmm. in the dialysis population, you see what you always see, which is the more inflamed they are, the bigger dose of EPO they need, and their target hemoglobin starts to fall off. So you've got lower hemoglobins than you want and higher EPO doses than the average person. With these products, at least with the Roxadustat data that's out there, the dose response curve is totally flat across the inflammation, the CRP as the marker. Mm -hmm. So to me, we've now shifted from, it's a no brainer to take incident patients and put it on it for the safety to, it makes a lot of sense to go into your dialysis unit and say, who are the 25% of people on the biggest EPO doses? And let's put them on this because we can't be doing any worse and they'll mm-hmm. get the same doses anybody else I would put on this. Mm-hmm. So that would be a big cost savings in the United States right now if mm-hmm. you did that. Mm-hmm. Those 20% cost you an inordinate amount of money to manage their anemia. And, and they to, don't get uh, better, right? They don't get better outcomes, right? It's just, we spend a lot of money on the no. EPO. We don't get any return on that money, right? And for all we know, that's actually part of the pathway that and we're doing. And we may be harming them. That's exactly right. We may be harming them. Right. We don't want any speculation about how and why this happened. You know, in the sense that- Swap, please, go. I want to hear it. I want to hear I want to hear your worst. Bring it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speculate. Not gonna, I read what they said, <laughs> and that's all I know. Well, let's yeah, put I mean, it this way: look at they're it, set, they, what they, they they kind of throw their 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 guys under the bus in what they, they, they what do. they said. Uh-huh. It's not. It's it doesn't look like this was an in, a, a, an innocent mistake, right? The way it is written, yeah. The way I read it, it somebody made these series of changes purposely, and somehow it became the intent to treat results when it was not. Mm-hmm. So somebody had to have known that, more likely a few people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you look at it in a different way. It's like they, they did get non-inferiority, so they would have got approval, right? Why 
why try to make something that is reasonably good even better i mean you look at the recent right. recent cafe it would have come out exactly right? exactly what if there was a nefarious motive why it there was there was 0% chance this was going to get by the fda yeah. without yeah. coming out i mean the I fda mean, looks at all the documents right they look at the raw data they they do their own analysis and stuff like that so it's it's no way that fda would have been fooled or tricked i mean you look at the uh, astrazeneca vaccine thing right even with the american application for the vaccine i think it was some interim analysis it was 74% efficacious and they they showed 79 or something it's a very cl- close number and it's like why did you guys do that you know the nih put out a press release saying hey the dsmb is not happy and and it just throws uh, everything into um, confusion you know, bad bad con- communication exactly uh swap do you have any other fi- any final thoughts here uh, uh, the the main question is you know should we be using these drugs when they make it to the market um and and i'm still keen right I, I, there yeah. is a there is a niche for using it and and i'm i'm keen to use it it's just that i'm less enthusiastic and unfortunately this has just caused a lot of distrust in the whole in the, you know the whole field which is unfortunate i i think it's unnecessary um the whole uh, thing and and we should look at the totality of all the literature you know the vadadu stat data will come out and hopefully the the dapradu stat as well and if it all looks pretty congruent uh, then then we should take that rather than this one small episode uh, which seems like a clumsy amateur hour uh, from the company then i would say number one this has cost a huge amount of goodwill and it'll be very difficult for certainly roxadustat to get their goodwill back and it it may paint uh, the other products with a broad brush that's undeserving. Having said that, these are really big trials. The FDA is going to pay a lot of close attention to them. There's no way they're going to sneak anything by. They're clearly efficacious. There are some niches where they're probably, you know, going to be a very valuable to us. So I would be shocked if they didn't get approved. I will not be shocked anymore if they get a black box warning. just like the ESAs because they haven't demonstrated they're any better than the ESAs at this point. And the last thing is that Daprodustat trials which really are just about finished, the last one was finishing this month. Those results may turn out to be kind of the tiebreaker. If we see a kind of a similar hazard ratio and spread with these, we're going to probably consider these drugs for better or for worse, right or wrong because there we didn't have a chance to get into they are different. And um they're going to get labeled as the same it's going to be a class effect and it will be very hard to prove that it's not a class effect from that day forward okay i think that's a great final thought this has been awesome dan a nice job really i think this was a great conversation i think we really moved at least brought people up to speed about what was announced what are the implications of this and um I'll work on getting this thing edited and out uh quicker than I normally do. And and I heard that uh, the the papers one of the papers or maybe both of them might be retracted. Did you hear anything about that? I didn't want to ask. So I heard that the the paper with KI reports um you know had a kind of it been accepted but it, it hadn't really been officially put up and the editors allowed it to be taken back out. Okay. Um, that's where we are right updated. now. Right that's, now it's pulled. Uh that's my understanding. Now now we're talking the one uh, we're talking the the safety one right. which just got accepted. Oh okay. Oh, 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 oh. Um, not 
Not, not, not the, not the care reports okay. that came out in February or March no. or January, I think. No. Yeah. Okay. I don't of, well, I don't know anyway um, that, and, but you have to understand they have to pull them because it's not right. just, you're going to change the figure. You got to change the discussion. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's a different paper. It's a different story. Yeah. The story's and, different. And by the way, the abstract changes too. So everything changes. Yeah. So that's right. It's not right. like, it's not like pivotal. We're yeah. pivotal. Yeah. Right. You know, talk about the worst rollout yeah, yeah, yeah. ever. Yeah. We, yeah. we did a study. That's right. You guys <laughs> on botched a string budget. And you guys botched it the wrong way. We, we showed changes and everything should come to managing anemia and dialysis patients. And oh, we, we screwed up and we said we were just not inferior and we were actually superior. superior. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's, that's what, what is it about nephrology that yeah. we can't get the. A hard end. It's hard. I mean, this stuff is hard. Even where it's hard. saying that we don't get it right, I don't get that. And this is not, and we don't think this is a failure of peer review. There's no way anybody detects any of this. We are literally. No, no. I mean, I mean, the author, no, like, like Dan didn't know. It's not in the peer exactly. review. Yeah. It's not there. It, yeah. This is a, and it gives you a sense of how dependent we are purely on the honesty of these companies. We wouldn't have known yeah. this, right? We wouldn't have known this. Yeah. I mean, the company comes clean here. I mean, the FDA probably would have uncovered it, right? Because they can't barely. But, 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 but this comes back to the question, right? Like sometimes they, they give you the data for the academic authors to reanalyze. I mean, I've seen that in some some uh, yeah. settings. Uh, and you kind of wonder, is, is that worth it, right? It's again, it's not you know worth your time to do all this. But sometimes when with such an experience, would you think like that? Again, we are not recording. This is not part of the podcast. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? Usually, the the type of data that you know, I'll be real honest, and I don't want this to get out.